All right. Good to see y'all this evening. Uh, those watching on Facebook. Tonight we're going to be in Joshua chapters 22 through 23. Uh, 22 deals with the eastern tribes, the tribes on the east side of the Jordan, uh, which are Reuben and Gad and a half of Manasseh. Then chapter 23, we may get through it all, uh, is Joshua's last uh, message to um, Israel as they've all settled into their their inheritance. So let's uh, go for the Lord in prayer. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this day. Thank you for blessing us to make it through this day, through this week so far. Lord, we ask you to refresh us by your word, renew us, renew the inner man, uh, our spirit, Lord, um, as um, you work in us by your word through your spirit uh, Lord give us illumination tonight as we study uh, these chapters and Lord fill me with your spirit to teach this text well um, may I teach your words Lord the words of God and not the words of man and Lord just bless us uh, with the bread of heaven which is your word in Christ's name amen so again, the 22nd chapter, uh, actually the, the next three chapters, which are the last three chapters of the book, uh, deal with them serving the Lord. Uh, God gives them a divine initiative. Uh, so these last three chapters deal with that, kind of basically uh, recapping. So now these... Uh, this chapter right here that's before us, uh, the eastern tribes, you know, are released to their homes, you know, back to their lands. You know, they fulfill their duties, um, you know, as the other nine tribes did on the western side of, of the Jordan. So they constructed an altar. It was a symbolic altar on the banks of the Jordan. And there was a misunderstanding. I read over this. Uh, these, this chapter uh, yesterday and this morning, it was a misunderstanding about this uh, altar that was being uh, built. And it almost caused a disaster. It almost caused um, one side of Israel to go to war against the other side of Israel. It almost caused almost like a civil war. Uh, but they had a good motive uh, for doing this. Uh, the Eastern tribes did. So uh, the matter was uh, settled. So this is kind of where uh, this chapter is and where it begins. And Israel was once again uh, one nation. So the, the conflict between these three tribes and the other nine tribes uh, was averted and subsided. So as we always do, we're going to look at each chapter in sections. So first we're going to look at verses 1 through 4. Um, and this is Joshua uh, basically thanking them for a job well done. So it says here in chapter 22, beginning at verse 1. It says, Then Joshua called the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh, and said to them, You have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, and have obeyed my voice in all that I commanded you. You have not left your brethren these many days up to this day 
but you have kept the charge of the commandment of the Lord your God. And now the Lord your God has given rest to your brethren as he promised them. Now therefore return and go to your tents and to the land of your possession, which Moses the servant of the Lord gave you on the other side of the Jordan. Now, this is seven years later since they crossed the um, Jordan River. So in those seven years, you know, Joshua, of course, helped the tribes on the west of the Jordan conquer their enemies. And so now the, these other three tribes have also. So they went out and fought on behalf of their brothers, as he said, uh, you have not left your brethren these many days. Uh, so they these tribes got their land first and then the other nine tribes got theirs so these three tribes they helped their other brethren okay and so he says return and go to your tents in the land of your possession so now that the land was fully conquered and all the tribes were distributed throughout the land they could go back to their families on the east side of the Jordan remember these three tribes got their land first and then they went to the west side of the Jordan to help the other nine tribes to get their land. So Joshua was basically thanking them for a job well done. Okay? So Joshua gives them an exhortation in verses 5 and 6. And it says here, Only or but be careful or take careful heed to do the commandment and the law which Moses the servant of the Lord commanded you and what is this commandment to love the Lord your God to walk in his ways to keep his commandments to hold fast to him and to serve with all your heart and with all your soul so Joshua blessed them and sent them away and they went to their tents so before he sent them back to their lands, he sent them back with a with the charge, with the exhortation. And exhortation is almost like a word of encouragement to them. Okay? It's kind of a encouragement by way of warning. Okay? So he told them to do several things. One, he says, take heed, take careful heed. To do the commandment. Take careful heed to the word of God. That means diligently hearing the God. And diligently knowing. The word of God. And I'll commentate on this in a second. And he said. What are those commandments? To love the Lord your God. This is a matter of the heart. The first commandment that God gave them in the wilderness Deuteronomy 6 and 4 hear O Israel the Lord is one he said you shall worship the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul with all your strength that's Deuteronomy 6 and 4 and they were to teach this to their children they are to wear this frontlets on their heads so the first order was to love the Lord your God and that's what Israel was commanded to do so you love the Lord and not only do, if you love the Lord, you're going to do what? Walk in his ways. To keep his commandments. To basically obey God with all they have. To keep his commandments. And then not only keep them, 
but hold fast to him. Hold fast means to cling to God. And then to serve him with all their heart, with all their soul. So this is the order. First, you hear God. Then you give him your love. And then you walk in obedience. Okay? This keeps you from drifting away. Drifting away comes when you love without hearing. Okay? So, that's what they were called to do. And that was the order. So, it reminds me of what the writer in Hebrews, the fourth chapter, said about the New Testament believers. So, turn to Hebrews, all the way in the New Testament. Turn to Hebrews. Actually, the third chapter. He talked about um, not hardening your hearts uh, to Israel, uh, beginning in verse 7. It's the, what the writer in Hebrews uh, said. And we're talking about the, 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 the command that Joshua gave to these tribes. You know, love the Lord, walk in his ways, keep his commandments, hold fast, and serve him. You're, you're taking heed. He told them first, be careful, uh, but take heed, take careful heed. That's in the uh, fifth verse. And this is very important. The writer in Hebrews says the same thing to New Testament believers, pointing back to the Old Testament. So looking at verse 7. This was uh, the writer of Hebrews speaking of a warning. It says here. Therefore as the Holy Spirit says. Today if you hear his voice. Do not harden your hearts. As in the rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness. When your fathers put me to the test. And saw my works 40 years. Therefore I was provoked with that generation. And said they will always go astray in their hearts. They have not known my ways. As I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So why they not enter God's rest? Because they harden their hearts. Then verse 12, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving what? Heart. Leading you to fall away from the living God. This is why Joshua gave Israel the same command. That's why he gave those tribes the same command. To take heed to the commands. To love the Lord. To walk in his ways. To keep his commandments. To hold fast to him and to serve him. Why? Because he knew that if they did not do that, then they would do what? They would drift away. They would apostatize. And the writer in Hebrews tells us the same thing. To not be like Israel. In verse 13 in Hebrews 3. But exhort one another every day or daily. As long as it is called today. That none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ. If indeed we hold 
fast our original confidence firm to the end. There's the word hold fast again. The same thing that Joshua told these tribes. Hold fast. Cling to him. As it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses and with whom he was provoked for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they should not enter his rest, but those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. He's talking about the situation that happened in the book of Numbers, you know, when the 12 spies went out and the 10 spies came back with the bad report and the two spies, Joshua and Caleb, with a good report. And those 12, those other 10 tribes and the, represent, the, the people in those tribes, the older ones, they did not make it in the wilderness. God told them, he punished them, said that their, their carcasses were going to fall in the wilderness because of unbelief. So it was the unbelief as to why they couldn't enter that rest. So he, the writer in Hebrews is telling them the same as, telling us the same that Joshua was telling them. Hold fast to God. Obey his commandments. Walk in his ways. Love him. Serve him. Take heed to him. Because if we don't do that, we're going to fall away. We're going to apostatize and we won't enter the rest, the final rest that we have, which is heaven. You look at Hebrews chapter 4. Same thing. Talks about Joshua. Look at verse 6. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it. And those who formerly received the good news. Failed to enter because of disobedience. Again he appoints a certain day today. Saying through David so long afterwards. In the words already quoted. Today if you hear his voice. Do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest. God would not have spoken of another day later on. So this lets you know. We're going to see this in the next few chapters in Joshua. That Israel did not have that full rest. That's why it says if Joshua had given them rest. God would not have spoken of another day later on. So although Israel made it to the promised land. They did not experience that rest. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest. Has also rested from his work as God did from his let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. So this rest, when Joshua told them to go into this, told the three tribes, go into their land and live, they were basically entering into their rest in the promised land, all the 12 tribes. But they did not fully gain that rest. And we're going to see why later on. But that's what the writer in Hebrews is telling us. The same thing. It was, it was Israel's disobedience. That led them to not be able. To enter into that rest. Our disobedience to God. Can lead to. The same thing. It can lead to the same thing. If we don't hold fast to God's word. We will apostatize. It's like the old folks you sing, if your soul's not anchored in Jesus. Look back at Hebrews 2. Very first verse. Look at Hebrews 2 and 1. 
Therefore, we must pay much closer attention or take heed, as some translations say, to what we have what? Heard and what are we hearing? The word of God. Lest we do what? Drift away. What did Joshua tell Israel? Take heed. Obey. Love. Walk. Keep. Hold fast and serve with all your heart. Why? So that they will not drift away. So we see this drifting away is a is a principle in scripture, not just for the Old Testament believers, but also for us. Taking heed to God's word, taking heed to the word when it's preached, taking heed when it's read, when you read it privately, when it's read in church. When I'm up preaching, uh, taking heed to the word, I have to take heed to it uh, myself. I don't preach at people. I preach to people and I preach to myself also. Whenever the word is read, we are we are to take heed to it. That's why I would say when unbelievers hear the word, they're accountable for what they hear. Anytime an unbeliever hears the gospel, they're accountable to that. They need to hear it, but they're also held accountable for hearing the word of God and not responding to it in belief. And believers, we're accountable to hearing the word also. So we can't hear the word of God and harden our hearts like Israel did. We have to take heed to God's word. That means listen to it and obey it. And this is the charge that Joshua had towards Israel. So Joshua, back in our Joshua here, back in the 22nd chapter. So Joshua blessed them and sent them away. And he let them know basically God's expectations uh, for them. Now it says in verse 79 to have the tribe of uh, Manasseh Moses had given possessions in Basham so forth and so on. And Joshua sent them away to their tents told them return with much riches in your tents all the livestock silver gold bronze iron and much clothing divide the spoil of the enemy so you know they gather all the spoils of war from defeating the enemy so now they were asked to distribute them. And it says here to Reuben the children of Gad and had tribe Manasseh returned, departed from the children of Israel at Shiloh, to enter the country of Gilead, land their possession. So basically, they returned with their riches, their the spoils of war. They returned with them to their tents, and they also distributed it to the other tribes. Okay. Now the incident with the altar comes in verse ten. When they came to the region of the Jordan, which is in the land of Canaan, the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and half tribe of Manasseh built an altar there by Jordan, a great impressive altar. So they built a great altar, and it was big in size. Now, this was significant because an altar was a place of sacrifice, just like the pagans had their altars of sacrifice. So this is probably where the confusion uh, came in because the pagans built altars also to sacrifice and so these three tribes did the same thing now the tribes west of the Jordan River had learned about this altar you see in verses 11 and 12 now children of Israel heard someone say I guess word they say word on the street you know word got around that Reuben the children of Gad and the half tribe of Nazareth had built an altar on the frontier of the land of Canaan in the region of the Jordan on the 
children of Israel side. And when the children of Israel heard it, the whole congregation of the children of Israel gathered together at Shiloh to go to war against them. So, man, this is like a, a civil war about to break out. So the other nine tribes were about to go to war with the three tribes, with Gad, Reuben, and half of uh, Manasseh. They were about to go to war with each other. This was a problem. I mean, they just settled into the land. This shows you how sin works, right? So the news came to the rest of Israel. That was a simple reaction. They gathered to go to war against their own brothers, their own brethren, who built this altar. Think about that. Mm. They gathered together at Shallow. Now, what was the problem? The problem was that the children of Israel, the other tribes, thought that this altar was pagan in nature. That's where the conflict came. They thought that it was a sign of allegiance to the pagan gods because the pagan gods, again, they built altars to sacrifice to their false gods. So there was a misunderstanding here taking place, basically. The other nine tribes misunderstood this altar that these other three uh, tribes had built. So they gathered to go to war against them. That's something in it. There's a big disagreement. But before action is taken, the high priest, uh, Phineas, uh, they gather representatives from each, each tribe to confront the leaders of the tribes of the Jordan. So, okay, all right, conflict's about to break out. So the high priest steps in and says, okay, we need some representatives from the tribes. So you got the nine representatives from the nine tribes west side of the river and the three representatives of the tribes on the east side. Now, of course, as I always have to point out, in the historical narratives and scripture, everything doesn't happen in real time. You know, this didn't happen like in one day, you know what I mean? <laughs> so the lands were scattered out pretty broad. So this, this, this probably took place over the series of, of weeks, perhaps. So it says, the children of Israel sent Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, to the children of Reuben, Gad, Gad had tribe Manasseh, so forth and so on. Went with uh, him ten rulers, one ruler from each chief house of every tribe of Israel. Okay? And they came to the children of Reuben, Gad, and half of uh, Manasseh to the land of Gilead. And they spoke with them. So this is a meeting. Okay? So they did this all in accord with God's character, which was good. They didn't just go to war. They, they did things in a certain order to resolve conflict. So Phineas brings accusation against the eastern tribes. Verse 16 says, Thus says the whole congregation of the Lord, What treachery is this that you have committed against the God of Israel to turn away this day from following the Lord and that you have built for yourselves an altar that you might rebel this day against the Lord? Is the iniquity of Peor not enough for us? And that's something. The ESV says, "Have we not, uh, have we not had enough of the sin of at Peor, from which even yet not even cleansed ourselves, and for which there came a plague upon the congregation of the Lord?" but that you must turn away this day from following the Lord. 
and it shall be if you rebel today against the Lord that tomorrow he will be angry with the whole congregation of Israel. So what, he's, what they were saying was that, look, you're doing this. Don't you see what happened to the, to the uh, other rebellion that happened? You're going to bring problems upon all of us. So again, this shows that they thought that this altar was a rival place of sacrifice and worship. That's what, that's what they were thinking. Because the tabernacle was already there in Shiloh. So the eastern tribes thought that the western tribes were, were I'm sorry, the western tribes thought that the eastern tribes were being rebellious. Now God had already commanded in Leviticus 17 that there was only one place to sacrifice and offer burnt offerings to the Lord. So these tribes were really upset about this what they perceived as rebellion. They thought about Achan. They thought about that sin. They thought about um, you know all this rebellion that took place with uh, the sin of Achan. And so they thought that all of Israel was going to suffer for the sins of a few just like the sin of Achan you know caused Israel to suffer. That's why he said in, in verse 18 and it shall be if you rebel against the Lord today that tomorrow he will be angry with the whole congregation of Israel. So they were really taking this seriously. So Phineas had reminded them of that. Now why did they mention Peor? At Peor Israel's men had uh, this, this happened in let me see what my cross reference here in uh, Peor this was uh, Numbers 25 and 3 and what happened there was uh, Israel's men had uh, relations with Moabite women and gave themselves to the worship of the Moabite gods and God sent the plague and killed 24,000 people. This was in Numbers, the 24th chapter. So that's what they were bringing back up. Do you want that same thing that to happen? And Phineas was the one who had stopped that plague. So he had memories of that. So if you look back at Numbers, the 24th chapter. Let's go back there and refresh. It's been a while since we studied Numbers 24. Numbers 25, my bad. Numbers 25. When Israel lived in Shittim, the people began, this is the ESV uh, rendering, began to whore with the daughters of Moab. These invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel yoked himself to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, Take all the chiefs of the peoples and hang them in the sun before the Lord, that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. And Moses said to the judges of Israel, Each of you kill those men who had yoked themselves to Baal of Peor. And behold, 
one of the people of Israel came and brought a Midianite woman to his family in the sight of Moses, blah, blah, blah. Okay, verse 7, when Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, this is the same Phinehas that we're reading in Judges, um, son of Aaron the priest, saw it, he rose and left the congregation and took a spear in his hand and went after the man of Israel into the chamber and pierced both of them, the man of Israel and the woman through her belly. Thus the plague on the people of Israel will stop. Nevertheless, those who died by the plague were 24,000. So God set the plague on those men who had slept with the Moabite women. And for Neos, killing the one who slept with the Midianite women put an end to that plague, or else more people would have died. So going back to what we were reading in Joshua, this is what he was referencing. He's saying, do you want to happen to us what happened during that plague by building this altar again? The misunderstanding was that this altar was basically an altar to the pagan gods. That was the misunderstanding. And Phineas being the high priest knew what this meant and knew how it looked that it did not look good. So I like the way he began verse 16 by saying what treachery is this? And then they ended that part by saying God will be angry at the whole congregation. So now what happened? Verse 19. Nevertheless, if the land of your possession is unclean, then cross over to the land of the possession of the Lord, where the Lord's tabernacle stands, and take possession among us. But do not rebel against the Lord, nor rebel against us by building yourselves an altar besides the altar of the Lord our God. Okay? So, what Phineas was saying... He was saying basically anything was better than seeing these tribes drift away into rebellion. So if it was anything unclean in their land, he invited them to come and live with the other tribes. So that judgment wouldn't be brought on him because that's what he was concerned with. So he said again, do not rebel against the Lord, nor rebel against us by building yourselves an altar. That's basically, that's basically... The, the concern that's basically that was the chief concern that he had they were willing to see, sacrifice to see their brothers uh, free from sin and this reminds me sometimes is that as Christians sometimes we can lack the willingness to tell people to stop sinning But Phineas wasn't about that. He did not lack the willingness. He, he, t he told them to stop sinning. If the land of your possession is unclean, then cross over to the land of possession of the Lord, where the Lord's tabernacle is, and take possession among us. If you have to do that, do that. But don't build this altar. So he was very serious about this. So again, they were working through this great misunderstanding. And then he mentioned a second example in verse 20. First, he talked about the sin at Peor. Then he brings another example in about Achan. So he says in verse 20, 
Did not Achan, the son of Zerah, break faith in the matter of the devoted things? And wrath fell on all the congregation of Israel. And he did not perish alone for his iniquity. So basically what Phineas was saying was that um, Israel, the, the, the difference between Israel and us is Israel had corporate responsibility for sin because they were a covenant people of God. So that's why Achan's sin was so bad. It, it brought judgment upon the whole people because they were covenant people. They had corporate responsibility for this one man's sin. And so that's why Phineas was serious about, about these tribes building this altar because they would make all of Israel responsible for their sin. So all Israel can suffer the sins of a few or even just one. That's why they feared that the Lord would become angry with this congregation. Now, something good happens. Verse 21 through 23. So the Eastern tribes respond basically to Phineas. Then the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the half-tribe Manasseh answered and said to the heads of the divisions of Israel, the Lord God of gods, the Lord God of gods, he knows and let Israel itself know if it is a rebellion or if in treachery against the Lord, do not save us this day. If we have built ourselves an altar to turn from following the Lord or if to offer on it burnt offerings or grain offerings or to offer peace offerings on it, let the Lord himself require and account. So they're putting themselves on the line. What does the King James say, uh, Phyllis? Let the Lord require uh, that uh, verse 23. Yeah. Let's say vengeance. What's the, what's the last word in verse 23 in your Bible? I'm sorry, verse 22. Or oh, 23, my bad. Last words. Okay, requires it. Okay, taking vengeance. That's what that means. Okay. So basically they were saying that they were, they were making a compromise, okay? So first they were appealing to God because he knows for certain their hearts God knows their motives for building this altar and they believe that their brothers in the western tribes have misunderstood them so they were pleading to God because God knows their hearts God knows our hearts better than we do he knows our motives better than we do so when we're misunderstood our first refuge is God he knows our heart. And we must be satisfied with being right before God. That may mean that we're wrong in the eyes of other people. That's the thing about being misunderstood sometimes is our main concern is being right before God. Being right before God can mean sometimes that you're wrong before people. Think about that. Our priority is to be right before who? God. 
Sometimes man is going to misunderstand us. Just imagine if you're telling someone something that's true, something that they need to hear, a sin that they need to stop committing. They may not like you for saying it, but you still have to be right before who? God. You know that God knows your heart, that you love this person, that you don't hate them, that you want them to walk away from their sins. You don't want them to fall into sin. So guess what? You're going to tell them what is right because you want to be right before God. You, you can't worry about what man is going to think about it. That's fear of man. So these tribes are basically saying the same thing. The Lord God of gods, the Lord God of God, he knows. And then they say, if it is rebellion or if it is treachery, do not save us this day. They put themselves in the shoes of the other person so they can see what they see. If it is rebellion or if in treachery against the Lord, do not save us this day. Okay? So what happens? They explain their true reason for building this altar. Versus, it, it took all this time in this chapter to finally get to the reasons. Like the drama was building. And now, these last few verses of this chapter, we finally get to the true reason for building this altar. And we'll get to chapter 23 uh, next week. So, but in fact, we have done it for fear. Verse 24, for a reason, saying, in time to come, your descendants may speak to your descendants, saying, what have you to do with the Lord God of Israel? For the Lord has made the Jordan a border between you and us. You children of Reuben and children of Gad, and uh, you have no part in the Lord. So your descendants will make our descendants cease from fear in the Lord. Therefore, we said, let us not prepare to build ourselves an altar. Not for burnt offering, nor for sacrifice, but that it may be a witness between you and us and our congregation, our generations after us, that we may perform the service of the Lord before him with our burnt offerings, with our sacrifices, and with our peace offerings, that your descendants may not say to our descendants in the time to come, you have no part in the Lord. Therefore, we said that it will be when they say this to us, and to our generations in time to come, that we may say, here is the replica of the altar of the Lord, which our fathers made. Though not from, for burnt offerings, nor for sacrifices, but it is a witness between you and us. Far be it from us that we should rebel against the Lord and turn from following the Lord this day to build an altar for burnt offerings, for grain offerings, or for sacrifices besides the altar of the Lord our God which is before his tabernacle so they gave their explanation in summary what the thing was is they recognized that their distance from the center of worship in Israel was pretty far and then they had the barrier of the Jordan River to separate them from the rest of the nation that's why you have three nations on one side Three tribes on one side and the other nine tribes on the other side of Jordan. So they were separated. So they built the altar as a memorial to link the two segments of the nation. So it was a memorial. It was not going to be an altar to actually worship on. 
in other words. They built a big altar so that it would last. They wanted to stand as a memorial for future generations. Which is okay. That the tribes on both sides of the river had worshipped the same God. So this altar that they built was it was just a memorial. It wasn't a, a, a place for them to worship because Israel had one central place of worship. And that was the tabernacle. But they had to travel far to the tabernacle to worship. And these three tribes on that side of the river, they had to travel far. So they said, okay, let's just build a memorial that's a replica of the altar. But they weren't going to worship on that altar. Mm-hmm. So they agreed with the concerns of the Western tribes, but they explained that the Western tribes misunderstood the meaning. Again, they said, here's the replica of the altar of the Lord, which our fathers made, though not for burnt offerings nor for sacrifices. So they were not building this altar to make sacrifices. But guess what? That's what they thought at first. The Western tribes thought that that's why they were doing it. They thought that they were rebelling against God. So basically, like human dramas are, it, it all turned out to be a big misunderstanding. So verse 30 and 31 says, Now when Phineas the priests and the rulers of the congregation, the heads of the division of Israel, who were with them, heard the words that the children of Reuben, Gad, and half Manasseh spoke, it pleased them. And Phineas the son of Eleazar, the priest, said to the children of Reuben, Gad, and half child Manasseh, this day we perceive that the Lord is among us because you have not committed this treachery against the Lord. Now you have delivered the children of Israel out of the hand of the Lord. So Phineas was pleased. And he deserves credit for believing his brothers. And he saw that the Lord was among them because unity had been restored. This reminds me of the passage in uh, Psalm 133 and 1. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And that's basically what Phineas was saying. It was, he was very pleased that this issue was resolved among God's people. You know, the great thing about this is that, you know, Phineas was a priest. Jesus is our high priest. Jesus mediates our righteousness before God. Jesus makes us holy as our priest. Jesus is the one who bring, brings peace between us and God. You know, Phineas on this earth as priest, he brought peace between uh, the, the two tribes on the uh, opposite sides of the, of the river. Christ does the same with us, with God. Through Christ, we have peace with God the Father as our priest. He does that as our high priest Christ does that he mediates our righteousness before God making us at peace with him and that's what we see in this passage and so at the end here it says verses 32 to 34 Phineas and the rulers returned from Reuben and Gad to the land of the children of God from the land of Gilead to Canaan, the children of Israel, 
and brought back word to them. So all these leaders brought word back to the people. So the thing pleased the children of Israel and the children of Israel blessed God and they spoke no more of going against them in battle to destroy the land where the children of Reuben and Gad dwelt. The children of Reuben and Gad called the altar witness for it is a witness between us that the Lord is God. Everyone is glad and everyone enjoys the blessing of having peace among the people of God. This is so good. And it was a witness. It was called witness. It was a witness to the tribes on both sides that the Lord is God. Now, principles in this passage. How do we deal with misunderstandings among believers? We respond with a concern for God's holiness. For Nehas, that's what he was concerned about. And the tribes on the west side, they were concerned about the holiness of God, about God's, about, about rebellion. So we respond with the concern for God's holiness. We also respond with the courage to confront in love. It's okay to confront believers about sin or what you, when you see someone slipping or falling into sin. It's okay to do that, but you do it in a spirit of love. Not a spirit of animus, animosity. You do it in a spirit of love. You confront. Also, you attempt reconciliation before fighting. Whether it's physical fighting or fighting with words or whatever the case may be. I always try to pursue rec uh, reconciliation among brothers and sisters in Christ. Reconciliation should be the first response. Try to respond with reconciliation before fighting. Sometimes put yourself in other people's shoes. As believers, we ought to do that sometimes. Yep. Yep. That's right. And sometimes you have to do that. You have to walk away and and earnestly pray for the person. Yeah, if, if, if there's a misunderstanding. That is true. That's a very good point. That's true. If they don't know God, then they're, they're, they're definitely not going to look at it the same way that we do. That is a very good point. And we have to remember that also. The Bible tells us to follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. That's in the book of Hebrews. Their misunderstandings are going to come up among believers. It's going to happen because we're, 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 we're fallen people. We're going to have misunderstandings among the saints of God. But how we handle them matters. You see it, something, Harvey? Yeah. Yeah, to worry about being called because that's because that's fear of man. Yep, people worry about uh, you know, walking away from conflict, uh, you know, about what they're gonna be called, but that's not what matters. What matters most is God's holiness and God's glory. Not trying to save face. And many people like you said, they they're 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 afraid to be called called a coward. So what? You're concerned about God's holiness. Yeah. Yeah. So we must be concerned with God's holiness, just like 
Phineas was in those other tribes. Amen. So may the Lord bless the study of his word tonight. And next week we'll get to Joshua's uh, farewell address, which is a good one to uh, Israel before he goes the way of all the earth. Amen. Thank you for your time tonight. Looking forward.